Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses and workshops for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you're selling on a regional basis at farmer's markets or just online, and you want to expand your retail distribution, you should look into the courses and webinars from Kitchen to Shelf. Want to learn more about distributors, co-packers, trade funding? Kitchen to Shelf can help you learn what you need to know to grow. More details at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. This is Steve Clear, and I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. It's a very special day today. I have two great guests with me. We're going to be talking about a great product and a great story. This is about Lily's, and I have Cynthia Tice, Lily's founder, and Jane Miller, Lily's chief operating officer, with me today. Let's talk about Cynthia to begin with. She got her start in the natural foods industry before green juice was even cool. She's actually an owner of a natural grocery store in Philadelphia area, which was operated for more than two decades. As supermarkets realized the staying power of natural and organic foods, she began consulting retailers on how to launch or build out their natural and organic offerings, as well as advising brands about looking into launching natural and organic products. As a longtime user of Stevia, when the ingredient was granted grass status in 2008, Tice began experimenting with making chocolate with Stevia to satisfy her own need for a no-sugar chocolate, her favorite food, of course. In 2011, the recipe was perfected, and by 2012, Lily's Sweets was on the shelves at Whole Foods stores nationwide. Lily's Sweets, by the way, has also been recognized by Forbes, the emission-driven company reinventing the packaged goods industry. So we have Cynthia and also Jane Miller, the CEO. Jane has 30 years of executive experience in the food industry. She has worked with both startups and Fortune 500 companies and is also the founder of JaneKnows.com, a career advice website geared toward young leaders starting their careers. Jane is currently the CEO of Lily's and has held several other CEO roles in the natural and organic industry, including Rudy's Bakery, Yay, Pro-Yo, High Protein Ice Cream, and Hannah Mix Cookie Chips. Over the course of her career, Jane was part of an executive team that brought Hostess out of bankruptcy. We'll talk a little more about that. She also worked for H.J. Hines as Chief Growth Officer and then President of the UK and Ireland Divisions. She ran the Western Division of Best Foods Baking, and she spent the first 14 years of her career at PepsiCo, where she rose to be the President of the Central Division of Frito-Lay Snacks. In 2013, the Denver Business Journal named Jane the Lifetime Achievement Award for her mentoring of young professionals and startups, and she has also won the Naturally Boulder Industry Leader Award in 2016, so who better to help Lily's get to that next level? I want to welcome both Cynthia and Jane to the show, and I'm, I'm going to actually start with Cynthia. So we, we need to talk a little bit about the fact that you started off in this industry by actually owning a health food store. Immediately began to feel better, and I was hooked. And it literally um, uh, started a lifelong pursuit of that, you know, of, again, the connection between food and how you feel. And... Um, you know, it made me really passionate about the natural products industry. So I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And when I graduated college, you know, there was a decision to be made about what's the next step for me. So I went to my family and I said, I'd like to open a natural food store. And they gave me a small loan. And that was 1977. And I opened, oh. I opened my store in Philadelphia. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so that's that's what we call going into the deep end, right? Just let's just go into, <laughs> into retail yeah. and in area not not quite fleshed out. 
as with many founders that I've interviewed, a personal medical or a personal dietary or whatever choice kind of leads to the thing. Now, let's talk about if, if I'm if I'm thinking healthy foods and, and all those things, the first thing I'm thinking of is not chocolate. So how did chocolate, was that just because it was your favorite item or why did we start there rather than green drinks? Well, that, that's a really interesting story, actually, because in the early days of the industry, you know, what was acceptable as, you know, to be in a respectable natural product store is quite different than what is there now. So in the beginning, in my early days, both sugar and chocolate were no-no's. You know, and so we were eating carob, which, you know, was supposedly the substitute for sugar, but that really never worked for me. And, you know, I intuitively always believed that chocolate was good for you. And it, 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 you know, it turned out scientifically that, you know, I, it's, it's scientifically validated now that chocolate is in fact good for you. So, um, you know, again, in those early days, sugar was, sugar was a no-no and, I never wanted to eat sugar. Um, so, you know, sugar, sugar was not really found in natural food stores until, uh, until way later, probably like, uh, you know, in the, in the 90s, when, um, you know, when uh, the stores were looking to attract transitional shoppers. And so kind of the, the criteria for what uh, was acceptable sort of broadened in order to um, entice more shoppers into the format. You know, fortunately, again, chocolate was scientifically validated as being healthy, but sugar, sugar, not so much. I mean, sugar has really kind of pivoted back to, you know, um, to to a point of view where, you know, 85% of consumers now are looking to reduce added sugar in their diet. So, you know, sugar has, is now kind of back at the point where it was in the early days of the industry. Um, so I was, so my story is that, um, you know, after I owned and operated the store, I went on to do consulting and I did consulting for, um, natural, for, uh, supermarket retailers who were looking to expand their assortment because it became obvious that natural uh, products were here to stay. So all of a sudden, the supermarkets were like, "Uh oh, we don't really have expertise in this." And so every, you know, many many chains were kind of jumping on the the bandwagon to, uh, you know, to increase their variety of natural products. So I did consulting to a lot of supermarket retailers, and then um, I also did consulting for brands who were looking to launch into the natural products industry. So. Um, Right around that time, um, you know, by right around uh, um, 2008, uh, an interesting phenomenon happened, which was that stevia, which had initially come into the country as a supplement, was was affirmed to be a food ingredient and was placed on the grass list. So at that point, I just began to think about you know, I really love chocolate and I really don't want to eat sugar. And it, again, it was sort of like this personal need for me, you know, it. like it was like, I, I want to eat chocolate. I want to eat it every day. And I don't really want to eat just a little bit because people would say, well, you can eat chocolate, just eat a little square. And I'd be like, you know, honestly, um, 
that's just not, you know, that's just not part of my vocabulary moderation. You know, I, I really don't want to, I really don't want to eat just a little bit of chocolate. I want to eat a serving of chocolate, a half a bar. And um, so I began to experiment with using stevia, which again, now was a food ingredient into chocolate. And I began to formulate with it. And for people who know about stevia, stevia is two to 300 times as sweet as sugar. So it's, it's difficult to formulate with. And it took me about two years. And I finally, and I tasted some of the worst chocolate I've ever tasted in my life during that period, but I finally got it. And, um, uh, in, I, I felt like I had a product that was commercialized, and so I, um, in in the summer of 2011, I participated in the Whole Foods category review, and right around Thanksgiving of that year, Whole Foods notified me that Lily's was accepted as a global uh, launch. Wow, awesome. that's, how that, that, that's how to get it. That's how to get it out there. Yeah, um, it was amazing. So, so in, in growing the business and you've done consulting on both sides, which I, I think is a huge advantage. I mean, knowing the retail side is definitely a leg up because so many people who are have fantastic products and, and are out there don't realize how necessarily retail works or, or doesn't work, as case may be, or the limitations and, you know, being able to see both sides from the beginning is, is really good. In, in the growth, um, when did you realize that you were going to need some other people to work with you in terms of a team? And, and how did you deal with funding, which is always a big question? So, um, you know, for the, you know, so for the first five years, we basically ran, uh, we ran with four, a team of four people, which was me, my two children and one other person who was handling operations. Um, and, the growth of Lily's was beyond anyone's expectations, even mine. I mean, I, I really did feel like Lily's was going to be successful, but I was really amazed at how exponentially our growth was. And it was, our growth was, was facilitated both by, um, um, you know, distribution as well as velocity, uh, velocity. So, you know, wherever we were placed, we were working, which was just kind of extraordinary. And um, so by 2017, I knew that we were going to really need help. And I, you know, I, I literally spent a year of due diligence because I had experience with, you know, distribution and, you know, as you said, with retail, but I had no experience with how to take that business to, you know, to its next step. And I was I I knew enough to know that there was something extraordinary happening with Lilies and I wanted to see it through like I wanted you know I wanted to see the the brand reach its full potential um, I knew that my skill set again was the initial steps but I also knew that I really lacked team building expertise and my management's expertise was next to nothing. I mean, my management style was basically, I figured it out, you, you should too. So, so uh, I knew that we were really going to need help. So during that year of due diligence, I, um, I, I looked at a, a bunch of different scenarios and I finally um, settled on looking at um, 
I, I decided that um, I was going to need um, both capital and, uh, you know, uh, and, and, but even more than capital, I was going to need this, this um, management and team building expertise. And um, I had identified VMG as a great possible partner. And I liked them because they traded in uh, the natural product space. They, they had a reputation for being founder friendly and they also had a reputation for maintaining the values of the company. And all of those were really, really important to me. So um, I contacted BMG and thankfully they agreed that Lily's was a good fit. And we, uh, you know, we made an arrangement and uh, we were good to go. And they found Jane and the team. And it's just been, you know, it's just been a just wonderful experience that I am just super thankful about. So, so uh, Jane, how did you um, originally, did you originally find Lily's in the store or was it uh, Wayne and company who uh, alerted you to this wonderful growing firm? Yeah, well, first of all, hi, Steve, and thanks, uh, Cynthia, for letting me tag along on this, because it's so great to, to hear the story of Lily's, and just it's so inspirational to me and of what Cynthia's done. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. I actually knew the VMG guys from being on the board of Justin's. I was okay. joined the Justin's board before uh, VMG invested, and then I stayed until it was uh, sold to Hormel. And so when they were having discussions with Cynthia about uh, potentially partnering, they reached out to me and said, would you be interested um, if we make this happen in um, pulling a team together and uh, sort of taking the business to the next level? And that's, uh, that's really what happened. <laughs> and that's a, a great, a great opportunity. Justin's also a great story, by the way, of the, of when people, when you work with people in startups, you you find out that very similar. They all have heroes, right? And a lot of people's heroes are Justin. It's like, no, I want to be like Justin, whatever. It is. But um, that that's okay. We we got to have that. Um, so, what intrigued you about Lilies? What was the thing that you know, rather than a, again a green drink or something else? Um, what what about the setup and the product did you find attractive? Well, there were, there were a couple things, Steve, that were really amazing about the opportunity. One was when I had a chance to meet Cynthia, I her what she had created, and she mentioned she had four people, you know, two of which were her kids and an operations person. I mean, what she created with four people, it still blows my mind. And I think that uh, the fact that she was able to go national in Whole Foods, get such a big national distribution footprint, um, it just was was just really inspirational. I got to see the relationship between Justin and Peter Burns at Justin's and just to sort of really see how a CEO and a founder can operate. And it just really got me excited when Cynthia and I got to know each other. The product itself, though, what I was really excited about was uh, that Cynthia was so far ahead of the curve on the low sugar trend. And the fact that um, that she had created a product you know, that was, you know, I guess about six years before I even came onto the scene that had been highly successful, but, you know, low sugar wasn't really, it was happening, but definitely not in chocolate. And so I think, and especially not in good tasting chocolate, I should say, because with a really clean ingredient statement, and that's, you know, one of the key differentiators. So what I loved about um, the whole opportunity was one, the product was amazing. Um, What Cynthia had accomplished was amazing. I knew VMG really well. 
And I guess the final thing for me, which was, was so terrific, and I'd never had this experience, was I got to build a team from the ground up. And I can honestly <laughs> say that um, I have the best team in the food industry. And everybody has been handpicked to be both great at their jobs and also be super nice people. <laughs> and so when we, if we have a chance to talk about the values that Cynthia created, you know, as she established the company, I've been able to really carry that forward. And it's, uh, it's probably the thing I'm most proud of in my whole career. <laughs> That's great. Um, when, so being in Whole Foods, obviously global is, is a huge accomplishment like all in itself. Um, when did you look at trying to basically push to more conventional grocery and did you target particular retailers did you do a coastal targeting like some people do how did that evolve from whole foods i'm kind of i i'm nosh i'm, I'm really in this to oh my goodness i need to be in kroger and albertsons I'll have Cynthia answer that. She started it off and then I can uh, take the handoff to uh, how we've kind of uh, even spread more into mass, et cetera, in the last couple of years. Yeah. So um, again, by, you know, in having the experience of facilitating other brands launches, I had a pretty, um, I, I had a strategic view of, you know, the accounts that would best suit uh, Lily's profile. So, you know, I knew that it would be sort of an early adopter kind of brand, you know, people, you know, the people that were, you know, really interested in, um, you know, pursuing low sugar options, um, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's a lot of difference between like that thought and that action. So um, fortunately, wh wh where Lily's really um, excelled was that as soon as people tasted Lily's, it was an easy sell. You know, so where we really delivered was like, you know, it really tasted good. That was important to me because I really wanted to eat lilies every day. And I, I still do to this day. So, um, you know, I kind of, you know, again, by having the um, experience of launching brands, I knew that first we would permeate the natural channel and then we would go on to sort of the, the more sophisticated um uh, conventional channel retailers, so so sort of more specialty retailers like Wegmans and um, HEB and and yep. uh, you know and um, you know uh, Fresh Market and you know and so we actually worked with all of those retailers early on and you know in having a good story to tell you know so when you when you get into a retail uh, location and you babysit it well which I did. And you make it work, um, then you go to your next retailer and you have a good story to tell. And it becomes, you know, it just becomes this great kind of building block scenario where the brand really becomes successful. So uh, by the time I handed off to Jane and team, we, we were fairly well um, established in the top tier conventional grocery stores. And then they have done this amazing job of kind of making it national. Right. Really, really truly it, national. So, so Jane, when you, when you came in and looked at what was going on, what was your, you know, what was your idea or the vision at that point to, you know, where did you want to take this from, from where you came in? 
Well, first, if I could just build on something that Cynthia said, Steve, which is uh, for a lot of your listeners, you know, we get, I think entrepreneurs get really excited about gaining new doors and they don't have the chance to babysit it the way that Cynthia said that, because I think that it really is making sure when you get in the doors that you can service it and then you have the velocity story, not just the distribution story. Right. So what she had done had laid this groundwork, which was so strong that every account that we were in, the velocities were like off the charts. I mean, so you look at the spins data and you go, really? Like, like every store we were successful in. And so that really helped us when we came on board um, as sort of the larger team to start to expand distribution, you know, we felt that we could do a couple of things. One is to begin to even go deeper at some customers like Kroger, as an example, to be able to expand to Walmart, that it was really time to bring this to a mainstream consumer, to be able to expand to Target. And so really kind of looked at taking something that was a proven success story to be able to expand the distribution. And and on top of that, we really believed that we wanted to expand beyond just candy bars and one skew of a baking chip and instead sort of say, this is a whole sugar, low sugar treat play. And so very quickly, we introduced um, chocolate covered nuts, uh, peanut butter cups, yes. uh, chocolate covered caramels, popcorn, uh, some new candy bars, a lot more baking chips, but we really sort of felt that because Lily's was the market leader, we needed to take advantage of that first to market position. But again, the thing that was so great, Steve, was that Cynthia had this foundation that we were able to build on. We didn't change anything that she had been doing. Uh, the only thing we actually changed was the visual identity. We really just took a look at the packaging and felt that it was so beautiful for candy bars, uh, but it didn't play as you kind of expanded into other products. And so we worked with Bex Brands in San Diego to, to really kind of reinvent the look, but everything else was truly just a build on what she was doing. And I think that was maybe some of the beauty of our success is we weren't trying to come in and say, oh, thank you, Cynthia, for creating this. We're going to do everything different now. It was literally, let's just keep building on it. And, and she, you know, remains the muse on making sure that we um, stay really, really uh, focused on ingredients and the integrity of the products. I mean, you said in my background, you know, I came from Hostess, you know, left to my own devices, no telling what we would do. So we need to, <laughs> we need someone who's like a natural industry person who really like, like, like holds that so tight. So the two of us together are really a, such a great combination because she's got all the natural industry experience. And then I have a little bit, you know, more of the, you know, sort of the big company experience. And, and, and it, yeah, and the success has been, you know, just amazing and the product remains so good, which is important. That doesn't always happen. That's not, you know, that's not by, uh, by chance that's by, you know, design, but also, um, you know, one thing about aspect of the company is, you know, giving back and, you know, you've both been very supportive again of, of, of whether it's mentoring or, or helping younger people or women in, in CPG and in other places. But can we talk a little bit back about, you know, also using the brand and the success of the brand to cause, you know, positive changes? Sure. So um, when, I, when I started Lily's, um, I was pretty far along in my career. And I was really at the point where it was important to me to have a component of the company uh, be, um, you know, giving back, you sure. know, kind of built into the DNA of the company. So, um, 
you know, we launched again in 2011, and my former business partner, Chuck, had a niece, Lily's, Lily, who was battling brain cancer. Okay. And she was uh, seven at the time, and she's 17 now and doing really well. So um, after her own treatment, Lily became committed to raising money for kids less fortunate than she. Like, she literally came out of the hospital after treatment and said to her mother, Mommy, I want to raise money for kids less fortunate than I am. Okay. And we were so impressed by that. We were so just inspired and impressed that when we were deciding upon a name for the company, we decided to call it Lily, uh, you know, make her our namesake. And um, we became, uh, we began a tradition of charitable giving to, uh, to support things that she was fundraising for. So uh, one of her first fundraisers was that she had gone to this camp called Camp Cranium, which is a weekend long day um, overnight camp in Pennsylvania for kids that are undergoing brain treatment. And it gives them the opportunity to kind of get away from it all for a right. weekend. And she loved that experience so much that, that the next year she actually uh, build a team, it was called Lily's, Lily's um, Brain Teasers, and she raised money to give to Camp Cranium. And Camp Cranium was actually uh, the first recipient of our charitable donation, which, um, you know, Chuck and I decided that we would uh, donate money from our proceeds um, from day one of the start of the company. And um, we actually donated money before we even took a salary. And so, you know, that was really important to us. And, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, when, you know, when I went to partner with um, VMG, I, you know, I just really was hopeful that that would be maintained. And um, Jane did a fabulous job in um, helping, helping me maintain that charitable giving platform. And, and we actually even expanded it last year when we created a charitable giving committee uh, and it, it, we formalized a lot of the um, criterias that uh, we had started early on. So, you know, we actually uh, developed a, a set of criteria of what, non, what types of nonprofits we would give to. And we had um, always decided that we would give to nonprofits that were um, creating joy and comfort for children because we felt that it aligned with chocolate so well, you know, chocolate bringing such joy and comfort. And um, so we continued to make that one of our criterias, but we've now expanded um, the, uh, the, the criteria to include childhood wellness. So uh, we moved in that direction. Um, we also decided to um, have one of the criterias be that the nonprofit would need to have an operating budget of under a million dollars because we felt that we could create the most impact for that size organization that, you know, that our contributing dollars would not, you know, kind of get lost in a sea of contributions. And um, we also, I love this one, we also are paying our employees for a, for a certain amount of uh, donation hours where they actually go and volunteer. Hour. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's awesome, that's great. Um, it, it, uh, it's one of those things that I, I think the ability, the luxury, not necessarily luxury because you've earned it, but the luxury of being able to give back and having the company be able to do those kind of things is, is important. Um, Jane, how does that work in terms of 
as the growth continues, how do you make sure mission and values still, you know, play in the, in the mix? Gosh, that's such a great question. And it's, it's so much a part of our, our DNA, I think, um, just maybe on a couple of different levels. One is um, that we have, uh, you know, besides having on a big sign on the wall in the, in the office, you know, we have a part of our performance uh, review. It includes our five values that we have as a company. And so, you know, our mission is to surprise and delight consumers with uh, great tasting, um, delicious, low sugar treats. And so this idea that we know that when people try our products, they're always surprised and delighted and to sort of give us permission to be a little bit broader than just chocolate bars. And so that's, that's our mission. Our values just very quickly are exceed expectations, embrace change, assume the best, take the high road and win together. And so we have this tied to our performance evaluation reviews. We do a lot of um, uh, talking about that internally. We actually are just kicking off um, in about two weeks, uh, Lily's University, which is going to be really a training forum for our whole organization to build their skills. And our first session is um, based on our second value of embracing change. And we actually are using an outside a group called Let's Grow Leaders that are going to come in and do four sessions with the whole organization to help us during these times of uncertainty and change. I think uh, we really feel like that's part of our values is to make sure that we're, you know, that we're helping people work through these times and realizing right, that they're right. not that they're not easy. So yeah, so we've carried that through. A couple of things that Cynthia and I have been involved with, though, in addition to the childhood wellness, is. Um, taking uh, being an early adapter of the Jedi Collaborative, which uh, we're really excited to be a part of. And then um, also coming out of the recent events, um, we had an internal committee on Black Lives Matter to really start to develop programming and education so that we can be a better educated organization and be more inclusive and be more focused on diversity ourselves. It, it, it's, I think, it's certainly important. Um, it, it's unfortunate that the tipping point it appears we had to have um, was so violent and tragic, but there has been an awful lot of, I think, movement in the last few weeks, even. Um, some of it, I'm sure, is, is well-founded, and some of it, I'm sure, is just reactionary, like we got to do something, but at least, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to move forward. Um, from that, uh, and again, doing leadership development and stuff, obviously a, a little bit different than, you know, Jane, the experience you and I have had in big CPG. Um, but let's talk about that for a second. What, what are the things when you're, when you're, when you're working in this capacity now, do you look at as a similarity to, you know, what was going on in larger CPG and, and what is it that is just so, so different, you know, going forward from a, you know, managerial standpoint? So uh, let me just bring up, there's so many, so many similarities and so many differences, but let me just bring one similarity and one difference to maybe highlight it. The biggest similarity is the importance of brands. So whether you go back to my time at Hostess or at Frito-Lay, where I spent the bulk of my career, people identify with brands. And it's really, really important. Uh, and you know this, Steve, from all over that you've done. I mean, that's like the core of it, right? It's just like that, that you know, you can have low sugar chocolate, but people want to buy lilies and want to be associated with it. You know, who, you know, you think about Hostess and Twinkies, 
Like who buys cream-filled yellow sponge cake? Like nobody does. They buy Twinkies, you know? And so I think there really is this, the similarity is the importance of brands and how we really love and nurture and make brands relevant for consumers. And I think that's a lot of the work that we're trying to do. It's one thing we started to build distribution, uh, but then we have to continue on the velocity that, um, Cynthia was so successful with early on with all the early adopters. And as we make it more mainstream, we need to make sure that the brand becomes, you know, more at the forefront. That's the biggest similarity. I think the biggest difference is resources. Um, you know, ah, yes. you know, I mean, it's just, you know, what, what I didn't realize, it was funny because I was a, you know, as you know, had a bunch of big jobs. I never realized that how much infrastructure actually comes with like a big corporation and the money and you don't worry about cash and you just are, you know, you just kind of, you know, you're just sort of part of the machine, you know, as successful as Lily's is, you know, we talk about cash all the time. We talk about the decisions we have to make about the resources and, you know, when I was the president of Heinz in London, I didn't even know, like, what our payroll was. I had no idea, like, what our cash balance was. Somebody in Pittsburgh handled that. But, I mean, we're, like, really in tune with that. And I think for the range of companies that, you, that you've talked to, you know, like, we're all worried about money all the time. <laughs> you know, and I think, you know, Lily's is, you know, is is a profitable company. I'm really proud to say that started under Cynthia and we've continued that. But still, a smaller company has to be so um, particular with their resources, both both uh, money, but also time, you know, and how you prioritize. I think you actually need to be a little, you know, sharper than when you're uh, in a bigger organization. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it was, um, my, my look at it was basically the funding, the, the need for capital um, for growing companies and the percentage of what you needed in cash in order to keep going and, you know, support your distribution. You know, that was all a given in a larger CPG. Nobody worried. Everybody had a budget. It was a budget. We had that budget. We're going to launch the product. This is the budget. This is what we're going to do. Nobody worried about that. There was nobody on the phone saying, oh, this is one of our investors. He's got a hundred K in here and he wants to know how's it going. It's like, that was a whole new, you know, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, and, and that, is something that takes a long time to get to the point where you feel more comfortable about it because entrepreneurs were always, you know, we're cash flow, cash is king, and we got to keep that, we got to keep that going. Um, what other types of things in terms of, of the growth, um, Cynthia or Janie, the one, but the, the challenges that you guys, you know, in, in growing the business, what was like, Cynthia, what was, what was like the biggest hurdle that you remember in, in growing the business? Well, you know, it's interesting that you just brought up this whole distribution issue because um, I, one of the things that I was lucky about was that, you know, I had had experience in watching brands launch. So I sort of knew in the very early stages some of the pitfalls to, to really try to avoid. And I, I think one of the biggest pitfalls to avoid is, uh, you know, again, re with regards to managing your working capital is, you know, is, is how to approach distribution. So um, what, from, a practical, from a practical perspective, I think one of the biggest mistakes I've seen brands make and one that I was able to avoid is to relinquish too much control of your uh, dollars to your distributors. So, um, you know, for example, uh, most distributors, especially with a new brand, will be will will try to convince them to give them 
uh, random authorization for free fills. It, it makes their job really easy. You know, if they're able to go to every natural food store and say, here, you can have this product for free, it's, you know, placing the product um, isn't, isn't really a problem. So I, I think that, um, you know, I think that the distributor will, will try to convince a brand that um, they need this free fill in order to uh, sell your product. And I think it's really important for early stage brands to remember that the job of the distributor is not to sell your product, it's to distribute your product. So early, early on, um, I never granted, I universally never granted anyone, neither the, dis the distributor or any broker, permission to free fill on my behalf. I, I, I literally approved every single free fill that we authorized. And, you know, in doing so, it really protected my cash. And it really was a great decision. And I'll share a story that was so kind of amazing and fortuitous. And I actually didn't re realize its full um, impact at the time until after it occurred. But um, we eventually got into, we got four SKUs into a very large retailer with 1,000 stores. And um, this particular retailer did not charge slotting. However, had I not had the no free fill uh, uh, rule in place, ah. the distributor would have taken those dollars anyway. Right. Even though, even though they were not going to the retailer. So I basically, in that scenario, saved about $160,000 by, yeah. by not, yeah. So it was, it was really good. <laughs> it's, um, it's one of the things in, in, in growth, and especially, again, where you're dealing with distributors, that you have to be, I think, very careful about. There is a, um, I call it the bridge too far syndrome, which is, we have more points of distribution, but all of a sudden we don't have the money or the personnel to be able to support it, to support the growth at those stores. And you end up with more points of distribution, but your velocity begins to fall off. Um, and uh, th that's, you know, critical and, and, you know, to, to be able to support that. It's great to get growth. It's great to get more distribution, but it's much better to be able to cement that distribution before moving on to the, to, to the next thing. Um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, Jane, anything on, on you know, just different challenges you think or, or what are the challenges now that you want to, are going through? You know, I think, Steve, our biggest challenge right now has been in light of COVID, our, our ability to pivot to understand how the consumer is shopping now. And I would say, honestly, if you go back to our February board meeting, we said, you know, that e-commerce was, you know, a part of the business, but not anything that we were really going to focus on because we were so busy focused on brick and mortar. And then you dial the clock forward a month later right. and the whole world changes. And so, you know, when I look, I just had a great review with our marketing team yesterday and of all the people impacted by COVID from a business standpoint, it's really been the marketing team because, you know, the messaging had to change um, in terms of, you know, being sensitive about what was happening in the world, the ability to do much more things online, the ability to really maximize our e-commerce businesses. I mean, 
the, the pivot that has been necessary from a spending standpoint has kind of been nothing I've ever seen in my career. And I think that's the biggest challenge in an organization is, you know, you have in your mind what your plan is for the year and what you're going after. And then all of a sudden you have a pandemic and an economic collapse and all this. And you have to say, okay, I think we need to do things a little bit differently, you know, and how you get everyone to sort of respond quickly. That's, I think has been probably, I'm sure, that's not just us <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, but that, that's what we've been dealing with. Yeah, pretty, pretty much everybody. And, you know, the, the companies that were a little bit more leaning forward in e-commerce were obviously a bit more prepared for that, although I don't think any of them were quite prepared for what was going to happen. Um, what will be interesting now is to see how much of that transactional e-commerce remains in e-commerce when it becomes less dangerous to go back to the grocery store. Um, and you know, we're, we're, I think it's six weeks or eight weeks or whatever psychologists say you need to do something in order for it to be a habit. Well, we're way beyond that. And so if I'm used to buying a certain brand, um, off Amazon, am, am I going to go back to Kroger and buy, or am I even going to look for it? You know, now maybe if I bought it in conventional grocery before I might pick it up when I go back to the store, but then again, maybe not. So we you know you have to we have to look at that and obviously adjust to it going forward. Um, and and so can we talked a little bit about um, some of the expansion of products and stuff. Anything non proprietary you can talk about, Jane, coming down the line anytime soon. So we have got. Um the thing that Cynthia wanted us to do at the very beginning, and I was like, oh, we can't do that right now, is white chocolate. So white chocolate, so this is a great thing, like you might know, now that, know this, but there's actually no chocolate in white chocolate. It's like all sugar. So to create a white chocolate line of products that we're going to be introducing this fall without sugar is like so amazing. And this is a great example of Cynthia and I working together because we've gone to kind of talk to, to some of our um, suppliers and they're like, we can't do it. And Cynthia's like, yeah, you can do it. And I'm like, no, they're telling me we can't do it. And she's like, get back in there. You can do it. So anyway, we, uh, <laughs> we've got three white chocolate uh, bars that are going to be introduced um, first on um, Amazon this year, which is really exciting. A white chocolate candy bar, a birthday cake and a cookies and cream, which are amazing. And then we have, um, three uh, holiday bars that'll be coming out, a mocha, a gingerbread, and a peppermint, which will also be white chocolate. So we're pretty, we're pretty stoked about, um, about white chocolate. We have white chocolate chips coming, uh, baking chips coming out. They're already out in um, Whole Foods at this point in time, which is great, and a, and a uh, salted milk caramel uh, chocolate uh, baking chip, which is you know, kind of based on our best-selling candy bar. So, yeah, so right now we've got uh, a lot of um, chocolate, white chocolate happening. We actually have, uh, we'll be introducing, right now it's on Lily's website. If you want to go on there, it's the only place you can buy it, is a no-sugar-added chocolate chip cookie, which is amazing. Um, and you can only get it on lilies.com right now. So we're pretty, uh, we're pretty stoked about that because it uses Lily's chips. Um, and it's um, like a crispy, crunchy cookie with three cookies, 100 calories Ooh. and, and delicious. So yeah, that's kind of what we've got uh, coming down the pike. And, and make sure folks remember this Lily has two L's, not three. So you went lilies.com. <laughs> so you can find it there. Um, Cynthia, let me ask, uh, ask you, when you were mixing up stuff in the kitchen sink um, and playing with stevia, obviously, and, and having to deal with the level of sweetness and stuff. 
Did you ever think that uh, Lily's was going to be where it is today? No, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I did really feel that um, people would like Lily's. People like me would like would like a product like Lily's. But we turned out to be the the, the group that likes Lily's turned out to be a bigger group than I ever expected, um, and. So I'm delighted with the growth of the company, but I'm also delighted with the way that the company has grown in terms of maintaining the values that, you know, I really wanted to see. Uh, you know, I, I really believe that you can use business to create good. Um, I, really, I really believe that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you can reflect your values in the way that you run your company. Yeah. And I think that in addition to being absolutely delighted that Lily's has grown to such, to, to such heights, I am absolutely delighted that the partners that I picked with Jane in the forefront have maintained, you know, have maintained the vision of the company just to also beyond what I had expected. I mean, Jane, you know, I, we, we, Jane had a mural done for the company that reflected the uh, mission statement and um, the company values. And when I walked into the office for the first time and saw it, I cried. I, I couldn't, I just, it was so well articulated and it meant so much to me. So I'm just beyond grateful to the path that Lily's has taken. And that's great. And you guys have done just a, a heck of a job. And I, I, I so much appreciate you both volunteering uh, for this um, because it's, it's, it's great to have that perspective of both a founder and CEO uh, growing the business, taking it to next levels, but very different next levels. Um, as, as you guys are aware, we, we try to torture our guests um, before they, before they depart with uh, trying to do a summation, if you will, of uh, advice, counsel to fellow entrepreneurs, whether they're just small startups and work in the farmer's markets or maybe some even the, the larger folks out there. Um, one word, one topic, one issue, and we actually will get two because we'll get one from each of you unless you guys just want to agree on, on one. But uh, why don't we start off, uh, Jane, you want to you take it? Yeah, um, thanks, Steve. That's such a that's a wonderful question to end this with. Uh, I would just say for everyone out there listening, surround yourself with a personal advisory board. Don't try to do this by yourself. I think Cynthia's advice earlier on about the distributor issue is such a great example of stuff you would never know. And I think that uh, it's there's no shame or embarrassment in asking for help. And there's so many people in the industry like Cynthia and myself that are available and we just want to help and see others be successful. So personal advisory board is my, uh, my number one piece is of your, advice. Great. Cynthia, how about you? Yes. Thanks, Steve. Um, so my biggest advice is love what you do because you're going to be doing a lot of it. <laughs> and if you love what you do, it goes from being work to being your life's work. Yeah. And that's, and, or as they say, if you actually don't work another day in your life, because that's, you know, how that, <laughs> right. It's, it's, uh, it's my vocation. It's not really my work and I enjoy what I'm doing. Well, again, thanks to both of you. Really appreciate you being here. I would love to do uh, another show down the line somewhere. We talk about when you, when you buy Mondelez or Nabisco, you know, we'll, we'll cover that next uh, next thing but again thanks so much and uh, I want to send thanks out to the audience and all the rest of you for joining us 
here on the Next Level Brands podcast, our podcast brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you'd like to know more about selling at retail, e-commerce, distributors, or how to properly price your product, very important, check out the free webinar archive at kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode. 